right, turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 7, our base scripture for the series that we're in. Anybody know the name of this series by now? Anybody? What matters most? What matters most? We're going to be talking today about value of the gospel. We're going to finish this series off finally uh, this morning. What matters most to you? We've been talking for the last number of weeks about what matters most, and we've been talking about values. Uh, so our base scripture there, Matthew chapter 7, uh, starting at verse 24 in the New King James Version, Jesus said, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, it's the key to the whole scripture, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, not a rock, not any rock, but the rock, and the rain descended. The floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on what? It was founded on the rock. And it goes on to say, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, conversely, I will liken him to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, same rain, falls on the just and the unjust. Floods came, same floods. Winds blew and beat on that house. And it fell, the house fell down. But he goes on to say, and great was its fall. You see, when we're talking about serving the Lord, when we're talking about living life and making decisions, deciding on values and integrity and how you will live your life, what you will follow and your internal navigation system. When it comes to the Lord, it's either this or that. It's either black or white. Now, we don't like to hear that today, especially in America. We love the gray area. We love that area where I can either go a little this way or a little that way and I'm still okay. But when it comes to the gospel of the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ as it relates to salvation, you're either in or out. Come on. You're either up or down. <laughs> you're either on the right or you're on the left. Or you're on the wrong. Come on, somebody. Ah, it's one way or the other. God said that I would that you be hot or cold. Because if you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. You don't taste good to me. Come on. And I love that. I love a Savior that takes a stand and stands up before everyone and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man. No one comes to the Father except by me. A young man was asking me a couple of weeks ago about, um, you know, apologetics and how do I, you know, I, I'm talking to people and, you know, trying to defend my faith and they have their ideas and I have my ideas and I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what to say. What do I say when I, uh, when I approach someone and I'm in conversation and I want to defend my faith? You know, what would you say? Why do you believe in the Lord? Why do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? 
And I said, for people, uh, you know, it's, it's different for different people. I mean, obviously, we have scripture uh, to back us up. You have a personal experience with the Lord. The Holy Spirit comes and changes your heart. And I don't know what you might say, but for me, when I look back and I read that Jesus stood up before everyone and said, I am the way. No one else. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I would follow a God. I would follow a leader who knows what he's doing. Come on. I don't want somebody wishy-washy. I don't want somebody who's still looking for enlightenment on top of the mountain. I don't want somebody who's still on a journey trying to figure things out. No, I want someone who says, I am the way. Look no further. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And then he stretched his hands wide. Come on. And he bled to death for you and for me. All of the sin of the world was on his shoulders. And he went down into the grave. Oh, but it didn't end there. Three days later, come on, the stone rolled away. And he rose again unto victory. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the God that I serve. Tell me somebody else who can make that claim. Come on. Why do I serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, simply because he's the man. Come on. Ah, we're talking about the gospel this morning. What matters most to you? This series, we talked about finding and choosing biblical proven values upon which you can build your life how many know that we are building a life knowing that my life will have a purpose significance and a legacy and we talked about that as you navigate through life there are values there are values that govern you critically important biblical core beliefs that drive our life and remain consistent in any circumstance and these values include, and we talked about this, the value, the scriptures. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you must value the scripture. And that means live it. Come on. Not just memorize it. It's one thing to memorize it, but it's yet another thing to live it. We must be able to value transformation. In other words, we must be able to stand before God and say, I surrender all. Change me from the inside out, Lord. And then if we're going to serve God, we must believe that he is. We must value the God of the scriptures, not the God of our mind, not the God that the world made up, but the God of the scriptures. We're finishing up today with valuing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we'll talk about that. You need to value your mission. Why are you put here? You need to value the church. We are God's exclusive uh, army. We are God's exclusive people. We are the called out ones. We are the ecclesia. This is how the gospel gets to the world, through the church. Come on. And we need to value biblical relationships. Today we're talking about valuing perhaps the most important part of Jesus' walk here on earth. And that is the fact that he brought good news to us. Valuing the gospel. A gospel-saturated life matters. It changes people. It changes circumstances. It changes experiences. 
And we don't need to just have a mental assent unto the gospel. Oh, let's sit around and talk about what it means. Let's look up the Greek word and uh, what it meant back in the Old Testament. Let's write it all down and have some sort of mental assent. No, the gospel, if I would wrap it up, is really wrapped up in a person. It's wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. When your life is transformed totally and continually, then you are living the gospel. What is the biblical gospel? What are we talking about? Well, Jesus refers to it as the gospel of the kingdom of God. It is the good news of the kingdom of God. You know, it cracks me up sometimes. I hear people in an office environment or wherever they may be or on television and they're talking and they make a statement and, and they say, you know, that's, that's gospel. That's gospel right there. Now, they're not talking about the Bible. You know what I'm talking about. But they're just using it metaphorically as if to say, you know, that's the truth. We're going to go by that. That's, that's what it is. But their theology is a little bit flawed when you leave it at simply that's the truth. Because not only is it the truth, but it's the good news of the truth. It's the good news of the kingdom of God. So if you're talking and the news is not good, then it's not gospel. Because this news is good. Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'll read it out of the good news translation. Come on, somebody. Uh, Paul told the Romans, he said, I have complete confidence in the gospel. It is God's power to save all who believe, first the Jews, then the Gentiles, for the gospel reveals how God puts people right with himself. It is through faith from the beginning to the end. As the scripture says, the person who is put right with God through faith shall live. I like how I read it when I was growing up. It simply said, for I am not ashamed, come on somebody, of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of it. To everyone who believes, you must believe. For the Jew first and for the Greek. For it, in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Come on. As if to say from glory to glory. As it is written, the just shall live, shall walk, shall move. They shall talk. They shall think. Everything about them shall be by faith. For by faith you are saved through grace. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. This word gospel, good news, it's used 92 times in the New Testament. And as the Greek word, it, it means good news or to bring or to announce good news. See, it's, it's an active word. It's not just something that's sitting on the shelf. The good news is there on the shelf. But what it means is to announce, to bring good news, to bring good tidings. It was used of a messenger who brought a message of victory. Come on. From the battle to proclaim good news of the victory won in battle. That's what the gospel is. It's good news. And guess what? I don't know what you might be going through. It might be a little difficult in your life. Uh, you might be like me where some days you have some ups 
And some days you have some downs. Some days everyone is on your side and talking wonderfully about you. And other days people are talking, just talking about you. Come on. Uh, Some days people are for you. Some days they're against you. I don't know if you're like me and you have some ups and some downs. But I want to tell you one thing. I've read the end of the book. And I came to the conclusion that we win. We win in the end. It's a foregone conclusion. We just have to walk it out and fight every battle along the way. It's about the process. Come on. Good news in the New Testament is the glorious news announced to humanity of salvation, victory over sin and death. In other words, sin, it's becoming almost a taboo word, at least here in America. It's, it's not politically correct to call someone a sinner. You know, just because they don't believe like you believe. Tolerance would say you can't call them a sinner. You just have to say they'll get there on their own. You believe your thing, I believe my thing. And in the end, we'll get there together. But I go back to the fact that that's what I love about Jesus Christ, is the fact that there are some absolutes. Uh, He's not wishy-washy. It's not if-then-else statements. Come on. No if-then-else statements, Brother Tom. It's just, I'm the way. I'm the king. I've overcome death. I've overcome the grave. I am victorious. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. There is none before me, and there'll be none after me. I was here before it all began, and I'll be here long after all of this ends. Come on. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I'm the Rose of Sharon. I am the Lion of Judah, Jesus says. I've always been, and I always will be. Why do I believe in Jesus Christ? Come on. And seated on the throne, observing you and I going through what we're going through, God began to look in himself, for there is none greater, but he looked at himself. And he said, you know what? I love the world so much that I'm going to give, give, give my only begotten son. Not my only son. There are some translations of John 3.16 that says Jesus gave his one and only son. A little short on theology, I'll tell you that. His only begotten son. Do you know what begotten means? Begotten means came through and from you. Your very essence, your DNA. That's begotten. Not adopted. Not take under my wing. From me. My only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. If you're on the fence, you need to understand that you are an eternal being. And there is an eternity. It goes on forever. There is life after what we call death. For everyone is appointed to death once. Come on. There is life after that. This is how much God loved the world, one translation says, that he gave his son, his only son. And this is why. 
so that no one need be destroyed. No one needs to be destroyed by believing in him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet still sinners, while we were yet in our sin, wallowing in it, not knowing how we could get out of it, being happy to stay in it. Come on. In the mud, wallowing, he died on the cross for us. Much more than, it says, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, we were far apart, but now he's brought us back. I love another scripture. It uses this word, Romans 8, 7. It uses this word. It says the carnal mind is enmity with God. It doesn't say it's at enmity as if we're at odds. It says it is enmity with God. The carnal mind is enmity. Now this word enmity, it means antithesis, the polar opposite. And it means a deep-rooted hatred. Enmity with God. There is none good, no, not one. And if you're a person that says, there's a little bit of good in everyone, obviously you haven't met everyone. <laughs> and you haven't read your Bible, come on. Because there is none good, no, not one. But God put his love on the line for us, offering his son in a sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. In other words, there was no redeeming value. Do you get that? Uh, we, we had a carnal mind, and it was enmity with him. No redeeming value. Nothing we could do for him. No reason to be saved. I don't know if you understand that this morning, but that's where you were. That's where I was, at a place where there was no reason to be saved. Yet, he still loved us, and there was nothing that we could do, nothing to make up for it. There was nothing we could say, and no action we could take to make up for the gap that was between us. Come on. Ingredients of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15.1. If you have a pencil and a piece of paper, you might want to write some of these down. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5, from the Good News Translation, Paul said, And now I want to remind you, my friends, of the good news which I preached to you, which you received, and on which your faith stands firm. That is the gospel, the message that I preached to you. You are saved by the gospel if you hold firmly to it. In other words, you have to believe it. You have to hold, you have to really believe this thing. It can't be a mental, a mental ascent. It can't be a mental thing. It can't be something from your mind. There has to be a metamorphosis. There has to be a change. 
if you hold firmly to it, unless it was nothing for you, I passed on to you what I received, which is of the greatest importance, that Christ died for our sins, as it is written in the scripture. Now, you have to remember something. Paul didn't have a New Testament when he was writing this. So it was prophesied long before Jesus died on the cross. As it was already written and prophesied, you are saved by Christ on the cross. There was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That he was buried and that he was raised to life three days later as written in the scriptures. That he appeared to Peter and then to all 12 apostles. The ingredients of the gospel, number one, we have to realize and understand that we all have a gap. There has to be a revelation there. Because if you think you're a good person, you'll never come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you think you can do it on your own. I cannot tell you how many people I talk to that say, well, I'm a good person. Or that one over there, they're a good person. Surely nothing would happen to them bad when they die. They're a good person. They try to treat people right and they treat people nice. They say good things about people. And I know it sounds a little mean, but I want to tell you that it's not enough. It's not enough. There is a gap. And guess what? There's only one way to close that gap. Only one way, that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins and rose on the third day, and you confess with your mouth, then you will be saved. It's as simple as that. Not anything else. We have to realize there's a gap. One version of Romans 3.23 says, since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and prove that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, he had to do the work to save us. In other words, we've all come short. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. Number two, realizing that us doing good things does not save us. We just said it. You have to, first you have to understand there's a gap and you have to get the revelation that doing good things doesn't cut it. That doesn't mean you'll never do good things, but it means that you're not going to do good things to gain the salvation and the favor of the Lord, but because you have gained his salvation and his favor, then you will be doing good things. Come on. Then it will be good works. You see, saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from the start. We don't play a major role. <laughs> Come on. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. But no, it's all him. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. Come on. It is simply the gift of God. And number three, the gospel is that Christ bore our sins on the cross. Now here's one that you might say, oh yes, okay, I, I checked that one off 
Jesus died on the cross for our sins. In fact, we took communion this morning. Uh, as we do this, we do this in remembrance of him, that faithful night, uh, amen, that he was captured and taken to the cross, and he gave his life. He bore our sins on the cross. But some of us don't really have that deep down in our heart that he took our sins. Come on. Because two things. Number one, we would stop sinning. Come on. I know that's a little quiet. That's all right. It's a little difficult. It's kind of like, you know, wanting to lose weight. If we really, if we really, really were true to ourselves and we stopped lying to ourselves, stopped lying to everybody around us, we would just admit that we really don't want buns of steel. We want buns of cinnamon. Come on. That's what we want. That's what I want. Come on. I just stopped lying. Ah, but there's a way to get there. Come on. We would stop doing it. We would not follow after the flesh, but we would follow after the spirit because therefore there is now no condemnation to that one who in Christ Jesus walks after the spirit and not after the flesh. Understand that Christ took all that. He took the sins. Come on. He redeemed us. We don't have to be in that. He redeemed us from that thing. That's the first thing we would understand. And the second thing we would understand is that, guess what? Even should we fall short, we have an advocate with the Father. He died on the cross for every sin you've ever committed. But guess what? Here's a little secret. Every sin that will ever be committed. I know, that's, I know, it's difficult to understand. I, under, I get it. I understand why you would look and say, ah, this just don't sound right. I mean, he died on the cross for our sins, you know, but if I sin again, now what? Well, you tell me now what? Does he have to die on the cross again? Does he have to die on the cross every time you sin? Once and for all time. Because where sin does abound, grace does that much more abound? And so if we realize that, we will be able to walk in the love of Christ with no condemnation, not falling again to our sin, not falling again to that thing that so easily besets us because we will realize that we are free. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Christ my Savior, come on. He has captured me. He has redeemed me. Christ bore our sins. The gospel connects, number four, people who are separated from God back to God. We are reconciled. You are back in the house, a prodigal no longer. God has welcomed you back. He has put the robe on you, and he has put the ring on your finger, you are part of the family, as if you had never left. Come on. You are reconciled. Ephesians 2.7 says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That is the exceeding riches of his grace. That while we were in sin, while we were not looking, while we were running like Adam and Eve in the garden, hiding from him, 
He came walking through, searching for us. Joe, Mike, Ciro, Carol, James, Deetra, Tom, Jody, where are you? Don't say anything. He's coming. Still, he found you. And guess what? When he found you, he didn't chastise you. He didn't beat you down. He welcomed you back. He saved you. He paid the penalty for you and welcomed you back. The gospel is reconciliation, number one. It's to be restored in relationship to God through the cross of Christ, his death on the cross. We now are united to God, and he has given us the ministry now of reconciliation. This is why you have to share your faith. You must share it. And I absolutely understand relational evangelism. I really do. Because we must walk it much more than we talk it. I've heard people, and you have too, that talk a great game, but they don't live what they're saying. Come on. I mean, you think you're going to get involved with a program for somebody to tell you, hey, you can lose weight or you can do better or you can uh, get a promotion at work. Uh, you can do these types of things and you look at them and they're a mess. Come on. They don't live what they're saying. No. We are the center of God's love and we are favored for he has reconciled us. The gospel is justification just as if you never did it. Is God's act of removing all guilt and penalty of sin while at the same time declaring a sinner's righteousness through Christ, atoning sacrifice. Now this happens through faith. We don't work our way to God like all other religions teach. We don't do that. We just believe and we receive from him the grace that he has given to us. It's as simple as that. It's kind of like the man who had committed a crime, murdered someone, and they came, and they were coming to capture him, and he had blood on his hands. But in the meantime, his brother found out about what he did. So his brother ran to the police, ran to the judge, and said, look, it was me. I'm confessing. I'm writing down a confession. It's me. Police and the judge said, fine, that's it. Case closed. You're paying the price. The book is closed on it, never to be opened again. And then you run down to the police station with blood on your hands. This man, blood on his hands. I want to confess. I'd, I'd committed the crime. Police and the judge say, well, it's too late. Someone's already paid the penalty. No, you don't understand. They can't pay the penalty because I did it. Here's the evidence. It's too late. It's already wiped away. Even if you wanted to confess to the crime, you can't because Christ already paid the penalty. I don't know if that's sinking down into your spirit this morning. But if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ in your life and he has saved you, 
then you now must understand that even if you wanted to confess to the crime, you can't. Because he saved you. And once you understand that, you would never want to turn your back on the Lord. You are justified. Who was delivered up because of our offenses, Romans 4.25, and was raised because of justification. And you were redeemed. With no redeeming quality or value, God has redeemed you. That's God freeing you from slavery, from bondage, or from captivity. Back something that was lost or sold, paying the ransom price by a redeemer. That's what it is. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, God did it for us out of sheer generosity. He put us in right standing with himself because we couldn't do it. It's a pure gift. He got us out of the mess that we were in and he restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And guess what? He did it by means of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. When you don't, Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And when you continue in your sin, and you continue even in guilt, come on. Some of us continue in guilt. When you do that, it's a slap in the face to Christ. Because he paid a great price and a great penalty for you to be free. He paid a great cost for you to be free. The least we can do, do is appreciate the freedom that he's given us and walk in it, not walk in guilt or shame. Come on, walk in the freedom. Gospel has redeemed me. And now we want to live a gospel-centered life. What is a gospel-centered life? It's simply a life of profitable sacrifice. You might say, what is profitable sacrifice? Our sacrifice is not in vain. Your struggles, your heartaches, hardships, tragedies, none are senseless or in vain. The Bible says that we must know him in his suffering and in his resurrection. Now, I want to just throw a little side note in here. This could be a whole other sermon, but I just want to throw this out to you. When you think about this, we have to understand when Jesus Christ walked this earth, there were th he was an example for us. And there were things that we have to follow, where we have to follow his example and do exactly what he did and go through exactly what he did. And then there are things that he did so that we don't have to go through them. You understand that? There are some things where he walked on this earth and he says, do this. And then he gave that revelation to Paul. And then Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Do this. And then there are other things that he walked on this earth and he took and he did so that we would not have to go through them. Obviously, the cross, there are sufferings that Christ went through that we might not have to suffer. Come on. But there are things that we have to go through. There are some sacrifices that we have to make and they are profitable. Because of Jesus, our sacrifice and the suffering we do go through is not in vain. Come on. 
And actually, really, I would say that it's what we call suffering, really not suffering. If you want to know what suffering is, go to the Garden of Gethsemane and begin to lament until capillaries burst in your head and you begin to to sweat blood because of what's coming. You want to understand what suffering is, let someone get a cat of nine tails. I know you uh, might not know what that is, but come on, a big ball with spikes on it or a whip or whatever it might be and let someone whip you with that. Come on, I know it's a little graphic, but if you want to talk about suffering, that's suffering. What we go through is not suffering. Come on. What we go through is sacrifice. I happily give my life to the Lord, whatever he wants, because of what he did for me. Gospel-centered living is a life of forgiving. Oh, it's easy to say. Come on. Easy to say. But forgiving. (laughs) Come on. Ah, the forgiven becomes the forgiver. We pardon, we forgive offenders, stop blaming them for what they have done. Come on, that's what forgiveness means. When you forgive, you don't keep bringing it up. When you forgive, you don't go back and hold it over their head. Come on now. When you forgive, you throw it away. Now I understand there's some things that you can't forget because you don't want to fall into the same trap. That's wisdom. I understand that. But when you don't, when you say you forgive and you really don't forgive, you hold it over their head. Come on. And that's not what forgiveness is. You release them from prison. You cancel their debt and no longer hold grudges or resentment. That's the gospel-centered life. Ephesians 4.32, one version says, be gentle with one another. Forgive one another as quickly, listen now, as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Came across a story of old Joe, and I was laughing because it reminds me of someone I know. Old Joe was dying, and he had been at odds with his friend Bill for years. They were best friends for a time, and then all of a sudden something happened, and they We're at odds. Well, he was dying, wanting to straighten things out. He called for Bill to come and see him because he wanted to get things straight. When Bill arrived, Joe told him that he was afraid to go into eternity with this thing that was between them. And so, very reluctantly and with great effort, Joe apologized for the things that he had said and done. Isn't that great? And things were wonderful because he assured Bill that he forgave him for his offenses. Everything seemed so fine till Bill began to walk out of the room and Joe said, but remember, if I get better, it doesn't count. (laughs) There's a bird called the Clark's Nutcracker It collects up to 33,000 pine seeds and buries them in groups of three and four in about 7,000 different locations. It's true. This is a real bird. And it has such amazing memory that during the course of the winter, it returns to every one of those 7,000 stockpiles to dig up and eat 
the seeds. It remembers where every stockpile is. It made me think, what's in your stockpiles and what stockpiles are you remembering? Are you like Joe who keeps things stored away and only because maybe you're dying, you'll say that you forgive, but the stockpiles are still there? Do you know where everyone is, every offense that someone has offended you with? Like the nutcracker? Or do you bury them when you forgive and let them go away? You see, resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. We don't want to resent. Gospel-centered living is a life of forgiving, and it's a life of loving unconditionally. We love not because of what people do for us, but simply because we do. We become courageous givers with courageous generosity simply because we love people, because God loved us first. And then finally... Gospel-centered living is a life of mercy. It's a life of mercy. You see, mercy is not giving to someone what they deserve, but giving what they don't deserve. Because people would say, why should I be nice to them? Why should I be kind to that person? Why should I be compassionate? They don't deserve that. Of course they don't, nor did you when Christ showed it to you. But it's a life of mercy, giving kindness, giving compassion, better than I deserve. Luke 6.36 says, our Father is kind, you be kind. He loves love like that. Ephesians 2.4 says, instead, immense in mercy and with incredible Love, that's how you would love. And in Matthew 5, 7 says, you're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You want to know how to be cared for? Care for others. You want to know how to be forgiven? Forgive others. God wants you to know this morning that he has wiped everything away. I know there are some of us that go through things and we fall short and then we fall into a thing where we feel guilty all the time. Now, that doesn't mean it's okay to sin. As Paul said, God forbid. That doesn't mean it's okay to trip. It doesn't mean it's okay to fail. But it means it's okay to ask for forgiveness and get back up again. Because you are redeemed. You don't have to live in guilt. 